listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. Never mind the bullocks, cause he's rock talk. Yes, welcome to Rock Talk with your band members, John Otney. And Colin Westman. And we're here. We're talking about rock. We're doing a blast from the past this week. I guess every week's a blast from the past. Every week. We should do we don't future usually rock talk someday. future rock. <laughs> I am the future. We should just do that one where we just endlessly speculate about where music's going to go. Someone's going to build a Phil Collins robot and he will not be able to stop singing. <laughs> Do you mean like a like a like a robot with Phil Collins's head put on top of it? Or do you I didn't really know the logistics, but that sounds. Or pretty do you just scary. mean a robot who's exactly like Phil Collins, or a robot programmed to play only Phil Collins songs? Okay, it's definitely one of the first two, not that third one. I like a robot, like a like a clanky robot body with like flailing tube arms, but it has. Uh, Phil Collins' head on it, yeah. but it like moves really weird, like a Disneyland attraction ride. It's not quite right, mm-hmm. but you can't stop it because it has the invisible touch. <laughs> you know that song? Of course. Yeah, I don't know what it does, but it fucks you up bad. We'll work on that on our our future yeah, on podcast. Our future podcast. <laughs> Literal future podcast killer robot but no we're talking about nostalgia and what kind of nostalgia con uh particularly we're talking about the years 1967 and 1977 and i think i got this idea uh just from the fact that a couple times we had been talking about rock talk topics and you'd said like well we could do an anniversary of this album that came out in 67 or 77 and it just seems like there's so many possibilities there because when I look back at all the years in rock, like to be 67 and 77 seem like the sort of most abundant years as far as just like so many good albums, so many uh, just interesting things that were happening in rock music. And uh, I don't know. Did you think of any other years for you that are like really particularly good years for music? Uh, you know, I didn't really lay out every single year. Okay. I'm going to guess any of the last three years of the 60s are pretty good. 68 and 69, I would also imagine, are pretty solid. But I feel like 67 is probably the best choice because like, that's the summer of love, you know? And that's when like psychedelia was really taking hold. And Sgt. Pepper's, like, it's such a pivotal year. Um, in in pop music. As for '77, yeah, I I don't know why. I, I, that's like the rise of like punk mm-hmm. and stuff. I don't want to spoil anything because we're gonna get into these topics. Yeah. And uh, and everything that came from punk and there's probably some other good stuff too. I saw a sweet. I was telling you about this call before we started recording. Steve Miller album cover with the sweet <laughs> Pegasus with the rainbow wings. Uh-huh. Gonna definitely check check that out afterwards. Uh, Book of Dreams, everybody. There's more than just punk, you know, in the 70s. There's there's Book of Dreams. Everybody's got a dream. 
All right. Yeah, I think there's also kind of a weird dichotomy between these two years because it's almost like 77 is the year that like, I don't know. It's like by that point, everything that had kind of been born in the summer of love, like all the hippie stuff and all the drug stuff had kind of taken hold and like almost burned out by that point and was sort of replaced by punk and also disco, I suppose. So yeah, we can, we can talk about that too, I suppose. I don't know. Just totally for other years that I feel like are really good specifically. I kind of just, I could do one for each decade, not in six, the sixties or seventies. Like, I guess if I were to pick the 80s, I'd do like 1984 just because lots of, I don't know, lots of cool like mainstream rock music like Born in the USA and Purple Rain, but you also had like the underground punk thing bon going Jovi. on. Bon Jovi, obviously. And, like, <laughs> underground punk. <laughs> <laughs> and then with the 90s, like the one year that I'm always kind of blown away as having like so many good albums that I keep discovering is like 1994 because that was kind of i don't know it was this year where like grunge and alternative rock kind of reached its peak but also kind of imploded at the same time because of you know the death of kurt cobain and then you also had brit pop coming along and also i'm sure there's a lot of good hip-hop from that year too but i'm not that knowledgeable about 90s hip-hop and let's do the 2000s too. I like 2005 in retrospect. Good albums from that year also. I'm realizing I shouldn't go in depth with these picks also because we I go can't even think about 2005 at the top of my head. Yeah, I'm looking now. Let's let's not though because we're oh <laughs> black eyed peas. Well, clearly that's why. <laughs> is, is that the number one pick when you Google best albums of 2005? No, no, no. Is, number, what, it's late registration. I just that? went down a little bit. What was that like Ella Funk? Uh, I think it's the one before Elephant, but it's uh, it's Monkey Business. Oh, Monkey Business, of course. That was like their first Fergie album. Uh-huh. Wait, no, it wasn't. Uh, your Elephant was 2003. What the hell's what the hell's Monkey Business? <laughs> oh, it's got My Humps. Oh, of course. Classic. Pivotal song in our lives. So let's yeah, yeah let's then let's not speculate what 2010s is. Yeah. It's probably going to be Actually, no, I don't know. We'll wait. We'll future podcast, future podcast. Yeah. <laughs> for our future podcast episode, we're just going to speculate. Mm-hmm. And then be proven wrong in like two years. So let's. I... Maybe let's start with 67. I feel like yeah. you may be more of an expert on 67 than me, but I mean. Really? To, maybe. maybe. I don't know. You seem like a little more up on 60s music than I'm I am. Old soul. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> It's definitely my favorite decade of music, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure why. I think just because I'm such I'm such a melody guy, mm-hmm. and that's you know this is where the Beatles came out of, and they rule so much of that decade. And then I, I don't know. I guess I really like psychedelia too. I I can't put my finger on it. It's just I guess I just really like British pop music, and the British Invasion was just so sweet. <laughs> so how did did you have this broken down in a way by like genre? I mean, first, or, yeah, let's talk about uh, maybe just those two genres, maybe the psychedelic rock thing. I guess we could talk about the British Invasion, because that was kind of the thing that was big, you know, in the years preceding 1967. 
I noticed was like the, the sort of big four bands or at least the ones that in retrospect seem like the the best of the British invasion bands the kinks the who the stones and the Beatles all sort of like went their own way in this year you know what I mean <laughs> like they each, I mean, released an, yeah. they each released an album and they're all kind of conceptual and like interesting too like <laughs> I guess we could start with Sgt. Pepper very briefly, because I don't think we need to talk about it that much, <laughs> do we? Not really. I mean, everyone everyone knows why it's great. It's just this lavish production. Every other song is, like, is just so different, but is I don't know. But because it's the Beatles, it all feels, like, so right, and there's just, just like, like, eight million instruments on it. It's just... Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's just like it's huge. I don't even know. It's like it's overwhelming to talk about even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't I don't have anything. I don't know what to even say about it. <laughs> I do have to question though. Is it maybe a little overrated? Like Sure. I feel like one thing about it is I don't like do you return to a lot of the songs on that album? Like I feel like if you pick it apart song by song it's not as good as say revolver or really rubber soul. I don't think, but kind of the thing you were getting at is the production on it is amazing. Like, I feel like it's George Martin's kind of shining moment because it's, yeah, it's, it sounds unlike anything that had come before since really. Well, I mean, I think the thing is it, it works so well as a whole. It, it, it really, it really gels with, 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 uh, with all the songs that are selected. But yeah, if I hear like good morning, good morning or lovely Rita on the radio, I'm like, yeah, this is okay. I mean, it's, it's not like <laughs> Abbey road where you have like, here comes the sun or come together or something. These songs that are classics on, on their own that really stand alone is these great works. I mean, there are a few like Lucy in the sky with diamonds or a day in the life. Obviously <laughs> it's a mind blowing song, but like yeah benefit of mr kite or when i'm 64 like they're okay but it's more like their production is interesting yeah which makes definitely. it okay that they're just all yeah it's right kind songs. of it's kind of a goofy album but yep. <laughs> i mean it's just all so unique mm-hmm. so the other the big four okay which one, let's go down which one i've actually this? never heard their satanic majesty request which is kind of the stones doing their version of sergeant pepper have you heard it i think i own it yeah it's weird because i've heard all the other stones albums for around that period but this one it's i don't know it seems like the band kind of disowned it shortly afterwards and it's i don't know it felt like them sort of trying to do something that they really weren't that keen on doing i don't know I mean, it's a huge knockoff of Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. At least in that it's got a colorful cover where they're all wearing bizarre costumes and <laughs> it's a bunch of silly songs with, you know, like flugelhorns and strings and stuff. Uh, but there's a couple songs I like on, on there. She's a Rainbow and 2,000 Light Years from Home are both songs I love. Mm-hmm. I don't think... Uh, I mean, I guess Citadel is okay. It's just, it's just too fucking weird. They're just doing... I'm sure they were doing all the drugs. 
when they did this. <laughs> they really, I kind of, I've kind of feel like they're off their form in in terms of songwriting. Yeah, the production's kind of interesting. I'm not sure. I think it's self-produced, but I don't know who was really pulling the strings there, if anybody. Maybe that's why it's like kind of, kind of. I don't, I don't know if I say it's bad, but why it's not great is that they're probably just like doing a bunch of LSD and then all dicking around on. <laughs> Like sitars, and this is what they came up with. But because they were so talented, they still came out with something that was halfway decent. Yeah. Look, Mick Jagger, take off your stupid wizard hat. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Isn't this around the time they f- formed their own label that kind of went under pretty quickly? Hmm. Like Banana Records or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if that was ever. Was that ever really a thing? I don't know. Sounds it like wasn't a just banana. I think up, that's. But. I think I'm getting that confused. I'm getting that confused with the Ruddles. I think, but uh, another great band. Yeah. Um, yep. I I could have swore that the Stones had their own label or something. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll look that up while we're talking about this. All right. Then uh, I guess this isn't really a concept record, but it kind of feels like one. Is the Kinks did uh, something else by the Kinks, which kind of laid the groundwork for all their the concept albums they'd release in the years preceding 67 where they're just like yep we're just gonna be hella british and not even really care about selling records in america i don't know at this point weren't they banned in america at some point that sounds right was it around this time i mean i don't know when it happened but it seems like it would have happened earlier, like right after that their first two albums may have come out because they were all distorted and scary because people yeah. weren't used to distortion. <laughs> I love the stories just about them like slashing their amps so they sounded like all gritty and stuff. That's so yeah. cool. And it's crazy they started like that. And then like, yeah, like you are saying, everything just got really British. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, I, I don't even know how to t- describe the sound of these albums other than super British and sort of prim and proper but like Ray Davies just writing his great songs about sort of everyday British life Dave Davies had a couple ones on this track That's true. on this album too yeah I like Death of a Clown that's a good song mm-hmm. I think the only thing about Dave Davies he's a decent songwriter but he's kind of a bad singer yeah so <laughs> hell of a guitar player yep then uh I, yeah Last one uh, would be The Who, who released uh, their first concept record, and they'd go on to make a few with uh, The Who Sell Out, which is like maybe their most underrated album. It's, it's I def- love that it's album. It's definitely a really good one, and one that's kind of easier to return to than I think a lot of Who albums because it doesn't have a ton of songs that have been overused in commercials and CSI shows and stuff. I mean, really, I could see for Miles is the only like big Who song on this record. Yeah, I think I appreciate that that album has such a sense of humor, but yeah. they're not sacrificing the quality of the songwriting. Like Odorono is a pretty stupid song, <laughs> but it like has a great melody and guitar part, and yeah. it's really catchy. It's a good song. Same with Tattoo. Like, you look at the lyrics of these, and they look like, you know, they're like little like I don't know, just jokes or something, but. They're they're really good songs. Mm-hmm. Mary with the shaky hand, yeah. <laughs> I well, I still don't know what ar- armonia means. 
city in the, is that a is that a real word it's, it doesn't it seems like it's a made up fantasy land <laughs> i know I, I pete know townsend I've, didn't write that song it's, yeah it was uh, it was uh john speedy keen from thunderclap newman <laughs> yeah of course i have that album yeah of course i do god what was that doing <laughs> See, you really like 60s music. Um, I guess we could also talk about, like, uh, yeah, like the, the psychedelic rock thing that happened. I don't know. This is very, like, it's weird pitting 67 against 77 because I feel like it's almost like a California versus New York sort of thing. Because <laughs> like sixty yeah, seven like was kind of the year where like both San Francisco and L A became like the hot spot of of where oh, I mean a lot of the big rock music was coming. I mean, I guess the the L A bands had kind of come a little bit earlier, like the folk rock thing with the Birds and Buffalo Springfield and all that stuff. And then you also had like Love released two albums this year, and then of course. The Doors. Jefferson um, Airplane. Yeah. yeah. The first Bee Gees up in, album. Up in the Bay Area, you had Jefferson Airplane, The Grateful Dead, and then uh, <laughs> my favorite, Moby Grape, releasing their one, I don't know, notable album. Do you like any of that? <laughs> any of that like hippie San Francisco stuff? I feel like Moby Grape's really the only band I can stand, just because they're kind of like the Grateful Dead, but like they rock. <laughs> um, I like some Grateful Dead, though. I yeah. feel like I like more early seventies Grateful Dead. Maybe. I think. Are we too. just talking about San Francisco? Or are we talking about L.A. too? We can talk about both. I mean, I feel like they're sort of okay. different scenes, but kind of similar too. I don't know. Because yeah, like as for L.A., like there's uh, Jefferson Airplane, and I never really got into uh, L.A. No, Jefferson Airplane were San Francisco. Oh, they are. Okay, so maybe, maybe so just... maybe these bands weren't that different from each other. If we could get them mixed up geographically. And love is L.A. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, that, a lot of that stuff was a little hippy dippy. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. It's, I don't know. For some reason, it's easy to feel sort of like all that baby boober hippie shit is kind of dumb. <laughs> now, it's kind of hard to sort of differentiate which of it is like good and which of it was stupid. I don't know. Well, let's just take the genre as a whole. Then, can you take? Is there any like particular psychedelic albums that you still listen to or really loved, or you know, like what are some of your favorites? Like one or two, if you like have one or two. Sixty-seven from sixty-seven. Oops. Um. Yeah, it's hard for me to even pick out any of those bands that I really like. Like, I like Janis Joplin too, though, but I don't think. I think maybe Big Brother and the Holding Company came out with their first album, but I've only heard that live one that came out 68. So bad example. Yeah. Well, okay. while you're th- 
I guess I'm now I'm thinking just, about it. Yeah, I just don't like that much of that music. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to talk about how much you love love. Oh, yeah, I, I thought do. you really liked that I album. guess, it, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I kind of separate them because... They're LA, there, though. There is, yeah, they are an L.A. band from around that time, but they always seemed a little darker than a lot of that other stuff. And, but no, that's... That's, that's an appropriate band, I guess. Well, I guess they're not entirely... They're not, like, as psychedelic as some of those other ones. Yeah. They're a little more... I don't know what... It's, like... It's, it's I want to say bittersweet, like, kind of folk, but not really. It's They're kind of hard to categorize. Yeah. A lot of acoustic stuff, but... It's just more like bittersweet pop music. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of its own thing. Yeah, I mean, that Love album, Forever Changes, is probably my favorite album from that year i don't know if we're gonna do lists at the end of this but like yeah i've, I've probably talked Maybe. about it before but no i remember i did talk about love on an earlier rock talk but yeah i just love that album it's it's such a weird strange sort of hypnotic thing and it's just awesome yeah you know i'm kind of looking through all these lists of albums from 67 and it's funny again even though we've little, you know, we've uh, switched up the genre a bit, I still find myself gravitate, gravitating towards the British bands. Yeah, um, I'd probably say like they're not, not probably my 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 two f- favorite, but two that really jump out at me and I really really stay with me are Disraeli Gears, mm-hmm. Cream, and Mister Fantasy by Traffic. <laughs> Traffic. I don't get uh, many opportunities to talk about Traffic because, as far as I know, there's three Traffic fans in the world. There's myself, an elderly clerk at Silver Platter's record store in Bellevue, and Dave Matthews. Because <laughs> I remember like 10 years ago when Traffic was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and everyone's like, huh, who, what? And Dave Matthews, I feel like, just kept bringing up the fact that, hey, they did that song, Mr. Fantasy. We all know it, right? He just he, he basically just spent like, 10 minutes talking about a story of him hearing that song. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever actually listened to that album, Colin. Did you ever listen to Mr. Fantasy? Ooh, maybe I did. <laughs> it's a very interesting album. I will say that. Yeah. Like, Cause I, I know uh, we've, we've, we did a podcast about 1967 back when we did top 10 Thursdays. And that may have been an album. I forced myself to listen to because you put it up for consideration. <laughs> you, for, you forced yourself to listen to. <laughs> I think I what think I like so much good, about I Traffic is like Steve Winwood was a like a soul R and B kind of guy. You know, I know in his later years he became like corporate fuck pop music. Higher love, but uh, yeah, great song. But but back in the '60s, he was like this really bluesy guy. He was this white guy with this really like like bluesy voice, and. uh it was so it was so cool to see him kind of uh, you know, do more psychedelic music and do stuff that was like kind of Middle Eastern almost. And then uh, the other half of the album is Dave Mason, who's one of those names you kind of hear about a lot in rock as like always being in the company of more famous people, like <laughs> playing the acoustic guitar on All Along the Watchtower and probably some other some other big stuff. But he wrote these bizarre psychedelic pop songs on that album with like weird like alarm clock noises and just interesting stuff. And they're just like a weird, fun group. And I feel like they don't really get 
they don't people just don't talk about them. They don't, I feel like they're really underrated for how bizarre they were, but like still how like accessible that album is. I feel like that's one that like Pitchfork could rediscover and be like, oh, actually this is great and we knew it all along. <laughs> I'm I'm it's just an album waiting to be rediscovered. So I'll be there along with my elderly clerk friend and Dave Matthews. <laughs> we're all in the we're all in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk about that. As for Cream, I don't need to talk. Cream is fucking great. Sunshine, your love, all that stuff, fucking great. Hmm. So yeah. we got our psychedelic stuff. We got our British stuff. Yeah. Is there anything we're just like grossly overlooking? I here? mean, I wish I could talk about like the like R and B and soul at that point, but it's hard because it's all sort of singles based music I guess this was the year Respect came out where Aretha Franklin just kind of burst onto the scene and that song was huge and also it was also around the time where like funk was starting to happen like I feel like Papa's Got a Brand New Bag by James Brown is usually considered the first funk song. That was like 65, and he was doing like Cold Sweat and Get It Together and songs where he was, yeah, basically just throwing down the the funk gauntlet and, you know, bands like Sly and the Family Stone were starting to come along too. Uh, I think this was also the year uh, Otis Redding died though, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. And he released that Dark of the Bay album posthumously. <laughs> I said that yeah. word. I think that was '68, though. But um, yeah, I guess. Uh, do you want? Do you want to go to '77 now? Yeah, sure. So I think there's one album that came out in '67 that's a good <laughs> sort of segue album uh, okay. for that year, which is the Velvet Underground and Nico. You know, kind of just blew the door open on I, I just the New York underground rock scene. It was just, it's, I don't know. It's one of those albums where it, it's, I feel like in the long run, maybe more important than Sgt. Pepper. Like just so much, I mean, not culturally, but like as far as how many artists it influenced uh, and that's been talked about before a dozen million bajillion times but like yeah it's still one of those albums you could listen to and you're just like where did this come from and I mean it's obviously Lou Reed just sort of keeping an ear to the streets and sort of just exploring these weird sounds with John Cale doing all this weird art shit and it's just yeah, it's like every song on that album sounds like a different genre that hadn't been created yet. It's it's crazy. It's one of those albums where I'm surprised it's so great because I feel like it kind of has everything working against it. Like, like let's start with the fact that this was like Andy Warhol's like house band. Like, mm-hmm. did I mean Andy Warhol? I mean, 
whether or not like you like his paintings or not. I mean, look at some of the other media he came up with, like his movies, like that, that stuff's all terrible. It's just bizarre. And like, how is this like, this should have been like incomprehensible Captain Beefheart stuff, (laughs) but no, it's like the really great songs. And then it's like, Lou Reed isn't really a very good singer or guitar player. Is anyone in that band a very good musician? No, not um, really. Not really, but <laughs> the songs are good. They're having fun. Like I'm not. I'm still not convinced whether or not John Cale can actually play the violin. <laughs> I think it's viola, actually. But oh, viola. Well, doesn't make whatever it the any hell that it. thing yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> For seven minutes, but and yet some somehow it works. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess in a way, it's like it just feels very like I don't know. It feels very primal. It feels very honest. Like a song like Heroin, it feels just like yeah, that's what that's Lou Reed's life right there. Or these other songs, like yeah, that's just that's that's his life. That's what he's feeling. Like it didn't need like the pretension of a lot of other albums from the same time. It's not like super psychedelic or anything. It's kind of just more like muddy rock. And then there's some there's some poppier stuff in there when you get Nico in the mix. Yeah. Not convinced she's a good singer either, but she's got a distinct, interesting voice. It's kind of like a bunch of happy accidents all came together yeah. and made this iconic album. It's one of my. It might be one of my top ten favorite albums of all time. I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it's up there great <laughs> i think for the reasons you're talking about is why it's kind of so important is because it showed that you yeah didn't have to be a good musician to be in a rock band like things were getting very overblown and i don't know just indulgent in the late 60s and the velvet underground were like man it doesn't matter just just <laughs> you can be weird and <laughs> and barely a musician and still sort of express yourself <laughs> through rock music um so I, I guess I guess we'll just just start with the uh the the 70s sort of CBGB's punk scene which you know it started more in the sort of early to mid 70s could try and give a, a history lesson on what the CBGB's club it was, but I, I, I don't have that much of a working knowledge of it. But, you know, it was this club where a bunch of bands played, and they all were super great, and weirdly kind of, like, didn't sound that much like each other. I mean, they all get lumped in together just for playing at this same club, but it's like Talking Heads, Television, Blondie... The Ramones, Patti Smith, none of them really sound that much like each other, but they all kind of get labeled as sort of that 70s punk <laughs> thing. Um, I guess we'll just start with the Ramones, just because they're, they're the best out of those bands. <laughs> like, uh, the, they, they didn't go in as many weird directions as many of those bands, but like they released their first album in 76 and then 77, Rocket to Russia, and I think Leave Home also came out earlier in the year, but I guess I'll focus on Rocket to Russia because that's like their it's, it's, it's sort of a poppier take on what the first album is, and it's just it's just 
It's just kind of perfect, really, like the Ramones were. I mean, they're a band that they always sounded the same, but they didn't really need to change because no other band could sound like that. And it's it's crazy how many bands they've influenced. And yet you, you still listen to one of those records and you're like, yeah, this still sounds like nothing else. Like, it's just kind of perfect. I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> Because no, it's, no, no. it's, it's kind of hard to explain what's great about the Ramones because it is so fucking simple, and, which is maybe why it's sort of like kind of, I don't know, mesmerizing to listen to that music. Be like, how the fuck did they do this so well? It might be the most listenable band of all time. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you know what I mean? It's like every album's like 30 minutes long. It's got all these like hey ho 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 like all these like sing along choruses, and it's just like really like fast and it's like great to dance to. And you can just like listen to like five albums in like one sitting, and they're like <laughs> at least the first like maybe four, are, like all great. Yeah. I think Rocket to Russia might be my favorite. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think you're right in that it's kind of like this poppier take or more or, I don't know catchy or something a take on the first album. And there's some great covers. I love their covers. I don't. I usually hate it when bands do covers, but <laughs> they have such a distinct style that their covers. I don't know. They feel like new songs when they do them. Yeah. Like their their cover of "Do You Want to Dance" or this one or uh, "Surfing Bird." <laughs> like I thought that was by Family Guy. Kind of my regret, one of my regrets is that I've never I never got the chance to see the Ramones. I mean that never would have really been possible. I remember I had a coworker when I was working at Barnes Noble. He's older than I was, and he saw the Ramones in like I want to say it was like the late '80s, maybe early '90s. They they still had most of the original members. Where I mean I'm sure they had probably like their fifth drummer or something. <laughs> and they had and I think he said like they had like a live album around at the same time or something like that. Yeah. And they played every single song from the live album in the same order it is on the live album. And every song just, one, two, three, go! And they just and their show was like 35 minutes long or whatever, you know? Like, but they played so like great, 50 though. songs. Yeah, that sounds like so like fun and just like... and But it's like efficient. It's not fucking wasting your time. Yeah. It's just straight to the point. Mm-hmm. There's no bullshit. No bullshit. That's one of the great thing, like uh, great things about punk, and it, it, it's kind of the same thing I said about Velvet Underground. There's very little pretension in a lot of this music. It's just very straight to the point. It's very attitude, and uh, and what I love about the Ramones, their lyrics are really simple too, and the songs are just very basic. You know exactly what they're talking about. <laughs> what a bunch of goofballs too! Like how can you not love those guys? <laughs> yeah, Connor Con, have you ever seen the movie Rock and Roll High School? I haven't. I'd like to. Uh-huh. It's kind of. I think it might be. Is that like a Joe Dante movie? Well, of course they're um, they're in it. Yeah. As the I think as themselves, well, as a band, <laughs> and uh, they're just so stupid in it. And like, I feel like I heard something about how like, Dee Dee Ramone was like such a horrible actor that his only line in the movie is "Yeah, pizza." <laughs> the part where they like eat pizza. Yeah. But they're just like they're like these weird alien. They're not not literally, but like there's these weird goofy guys in this movie. Yeah, you're just drawn. You just want to go up and hug them. You know, (laughs) they're lovable. Yeah. I'm sad they're all dead. At least the four original guys. It's really sad. Yeah. All all too soon. 
Very mm-hmm. sad. I don't know what version of the Ramones is around today. Mm-hmm. Now, there's plenty of British punk bands I like to talk about, but did you want to talk about any of the more of the American ones? You threw out a bunch. I mean, there. of those ones, I guess, like, yeah, the the other like remarkable albums from that period. I guess Horses by Patti Smith, that was '75, and then Talking Heads released their first album that year, but. I feel like that album's more of like a blueprint for what Talking Heads would become. Like, it's pretty good. It's got Psycho Killer on it and stuff, but like they take their music in like way more sort of creative, like diverse directions in the years to come. I guess of, of yeah, all those bands, my favorite album from that year would have to be Marquee Moon by Television. Like I just love that album. It's it's another one I return to all the time, and I'm just like, yeah, these guys didn't really sound like anything that was going on at the time. Like they, weirdly enough, were part of the punk scene, but they did these extended guitar solos, but they weren't like bluesy. They had this weird like ethereal. I don't even. It's like not like a jazz type guitar. So it's it's hard to explain. I. I I, I don't know, but they played guitar in a really interesting way. Tom Verlaine and, and Richard Lloyd trading off sort of guitar licks. And I just, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's a great guitar album. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We could move on to the UK punk bands. Again, that's just where I feel more comfortable for some Yeah, reason. I guess. Sometimes, though I will say, sometimes I wonder if British punk was kind of like a big gimmick. <laughs> uh, that's not to do, that's not to like say any of those albums weren't great, but you look at the stories a lot of, of a lot of those bands mm-hmm. and there's like always some like big weird like record executive or like producer guy that's like the creative force behind those bands like the Sex Pistols. Yeah. I've even heard, I haven't really looked into it, The Clash were kind of just kind of put together. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they wrote all of their songs and became one of the great bands of their time, but I feel like initially there was somebody, some guy just scooped up all these guys like, hey, you should be a punk band. That's like a thing. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, I, like, again, it's still a great album, but I don't know. It, I guess it doesn't, those, like, it doesn't feel as as genuine as some of the American stuff. Like, the Sex Pistols, like, I love Never Mind the Bullocks. I did a terrible opening by saying Never Mind the Bullocks. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It does feel, like, a little, uh, I guess, cheeky, you know? It's like, I don't know. No, I kind of get... Well, I mean, the a lot of... I mean, the Sex Pistols in particular are a very nihilistic band. <laughs> like, they didn't see... They didn't... I mean, that was their whole thing, was they stood for nothing, so... They just fucking hated everything and thought everything was bullshit. And it's like, that kind of music is, it's like, I don't know. For some reason, because of that, that's a record I don't return to a lot. But when I do, I enjoy it just because it's, I don't know. There's something also sort of charming about the fact that they were just like, fuck everything. Like, it's a very powerful sounding record, even if like at the end of the day, there's not really any great meaning to get from listening to it. 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I bet I could put that on right now and, like, enjoy it a lot. It is pretty fun. You know who doesn't get enough, sh- sh- like, enough shout-outs? Is that guy who, um, what's his name? Glenn Matlock. Doesn't he play on, like, practically the whole album? But, like, I don't know. People always forget that because of Sid Vicious. Was he the bass player on the album? I know, like, yeah, Sid Vicious doesn't he only yeah, play, like, at the two track songs on that album. He plays on two songs, and this other guy plays on all the others. <laughs> That guy got screwed. Such a weird thing. Like, yeah, for just want to give a shout out to that guy. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, rock music is kind of stupid when someone like Sid Vicious is like famous, even though he's not even like, what is he even famous for? Like being a <laughs> fucking junkie who killed him or to kill himself and died young, but. Like he just, he didn't yeah. have any great musical contributions. He didn't fucking play bass on an album that like any <laughs> any rudimentary musician could play bass on. <laughs> I mean, he didn't even play on the. In, I guess he played on Holidays in the Sun and Bodies, but he didn't even play on God Save the Queen or Anarchy in the UK. Yeah. It's like I'm not sure if he even could play. I feel like they're more about him. But like this guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> Let's get this guy in the band. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. Because it was all a big gimmick. It's just one of those things where it happened to like work out because you actually had like some some talented people in there writing good songs, you know, like Steve Jones and Glenn Matlock. Mm-hmm. So lucky accident, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, Clash Sex was. Were you talking about something else? Why? Why I gave that extended shout out to Glenn Matlock? I mean, I was just gonna start talking about the Clash. Unlike the Sex Pistols, kind of seem to stand for something. Yeah, they're, you know, they're always t- writing songs about the disenfranchised and standing up for shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that first album a lot. I mean, London Calling's obviously the big one for them, but it's it's definitely that first one's. It's very raw. Like the productions probably more raw than that sex pistols album which is like surprisingly sort of polished in a way but i feel like that works kind of in its favor really like i don't know i feel like it yeah i feel like if that album was too sort of off the cuff it would just be like these guys don't know what they're doing (laughs) like it would just be like kind of unlistable but because it has sort of that sheen of it, it it has this huge sound to it that's that's kind of great you know who i gotta give a shout out to colin a band that i that i neglected recently and i feel really bad about it i just totally zoned out on it do you know who i'm talking about the the damned the damned (laughs) they came by on easter and i totally forgot and i was like fuck yeah Cause like, how many chances am I get, gonna get to see the Damned? But it's okay. I still got the albums. Mm-hmm. The Damned, who on their Wikipedia page just like has to be like in your face about how like, oh, this was like the first of those punk band like albums to come out, and this is like the first punk single to come out with New Rose, and I don't know. But it is a really good album, and I really like um, those guys, particularly Dave Vanian, who I feel like really paved the way for more of like crooner type singers, <laughs> like like Danzig and stuff mm-hmm. like it's, he's kind of like an Elvisy kind of singer but there's like these weird punk rock guitars going on in the back and then Captain Sensible who is just I mean 
you could just tell by his name that he's a goofy guy. On this first album, he plays bass, but he later became the guitar player, and he's just always like he's such a presence on stage and on the albums, and he's a, he's a great musician, and he's just very goofy and wears these bizarre outfits. And I think what stands out for me about The Damned is like they're actually like a pretty polished band, you know, considering they're a part of that punk scene. Not saying like The Clash or The Sex Pistols were bad musicians, but like. Some of the guys on this are, like, really good. Like, they could have played just regular rock if they wanted to. They didn't have to do punk. <laughs> not saying that rock, you know, regular rock is better than punk in terms of musicianship, but it's not sloppy. And I think a big part of that is produced by Nick Lowe, which is interesting, hmm. who, of course, also a uh, frequent collaborator of another artist I'm sure we're going to talk about. I don't know if we're going to talk about him right now. I don't know if you had, like, some sweet... <laughs> I don't. I don't think I have any other the, the London punk bands to talk about. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other ones, but we talked about, you know, the big ones, yeah. and then I threw the damned in there just mm-hmm. as a shout out. I'm <laughs> saying that I'm sorry that I missed your show. Yeah. Hey, here's a fun thing. They often do a cover of um, a love song of uh, the band Love. I'm trying to remember which one it is. Mm-hmm. I think they play that alone again or song in their sets. Yeah. So the connection continues. The connection. <laughs> I'm guessing you're you're referencing Elvis Costello. Ah, yeah. He put out "My Aim Is True," uh, which is a good Elvis Costello album. I mean, he he had a really good run from the late '70s to early '80s. There's like six or seven albums in there, where it's just like each one is just great and. Yeah, my, my aim is true is kind of the starting point. Hell yeah! What kind of what kind of music do you categorize that as? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> A rock. It's t- It's not like it's it's like it's got power. It's not quite power pop because it doesn't have like the riffs. Yeah, it, I don't know. I mean, he. I feel like he eventually sort of got lumped in with new wave. Just because he had yeah, there a you go. keyboard player, but I feel like even then he didn't really quite fit in with that scene. So he was, yeah, he was kind of a, a sort of in between, <laughs> in between sort of the punk thing and the new wave scene, somewhere in the middle ground. I mean, their next album after that, this year's model, sounds kind of punk. Like that album's pretty rocking. Uh, My name is true. Is a little more restrained, I think. It supposedly had like musicians on it that went on to form Huey Lewis in the News or something. <laughs> well, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, some good songs on there. Watching the detectives. Gotta say, pretty disappointed. He's pretty disappointed. He's not holding a big gun on that album cover. <laughs> Has anyone made that Photoshop? <laughs> it's got like a Gatling gun. We're just saying we're just, his we're, aim is true. We're, we're just like the guitar is replaced with a giant Gatling gun. I'm gonna Google Elvis Costello gun. Uh and I'm gonna No dice. No dice. <laughs> well, it's up to me. You gotta do it. Someone's it's gonna gotta. be tough getting the shadow on that Gatling gun, but I think I can do it. <laughs> My aim is true, after all. Mm-hmm. This is tough because there's a lot, lot of other uh, albums that are great that don't, uh, that are a lot harder to tie into. 
a theme. Yeah. Like uh, like Fleetwood Mac, you know, rumors. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> it just happened to come out in '77. Yeah, it's hard because I, we're talking about a, a bit more underground or sort of off the radar music from that year, but rumors, it's just this huge fucking album with so many hits and uh yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah i just heard gold dust woman on the radio today and i was like oh this is a good song what album is this on it's like oh it's on rumors of course they're all on yeah. rumors you're like that's the one that has all the songs mm-hmm. i mean they had some other good albums too but that album's just like wall-to-wall hits and what's crazy about fleetwood mac is you had three different you know talented songwriters all writing those great songs at the same time and it's like what took them so long because that band was all around for a long time i think it, it yet they just needed um lindsey buckingham and stevie nicks to like rejuvenate you know the rest of the band you know because christine mcvee had been in the band for a while mm-hmm. yet it wasn't until this period that she started writing great songs too um and maybe it helped that everyone was like having sex with each other so they're like <laughs> That's the key to making great music. Everyone's just got to have like sex with each other, and then everyone's got to get pissed off at each other. Yeah, it's, it's such a. If every band would just do that. <laughs> it is such a weird thing with that album too, because yeah, you know, there's so much like inner turmoil and stuff happening within that band. But then they became huge, and like you think they would have broken up after that, but they kept going, and they also still kept releasing like. A, some good albums like Tusk which came after Rumors is a really awesome double album and then Mirage after that too it's like pretty good sort of like foray into 80s pop for them and it's just it's just a strange trajectory for a band <laughs> I don't know it's odd but they went their own way oh I see yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I kind of skimmed over the rest of those '70s New York bands. I, I guess I guess we'd moved on to British stuff. You didn't want to, you didn't want to f- dive into the Talking Heads '77 or anything. Like, you, were you good? I think I was good because, as I said, it was it okay, was like good. a starting point. I feel like okay, each album they released after that, like they just kept getting better and better until they did Remain in Light, which is fucking awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, the first one's pretty good. I guess we right. we could also point out that like David Bowie did his two like Berlin albums from that year, and also like didn't did Iggy Pop also record Lust for Life in Berlin with Bowie? Yeah, Lust for Life came out that yeah. year. Yeah, so and the Idiot also came out that year too. What also came out? The Idiot. Oh yeah, that Iggy one. Pop. <laughs> I could never make it through that album. It's... A, a lot of those one. albums are too sad to me. Yeah, they kind of. I've never been a huge fan of the Berlin period. I know, like it's pretty heralded, but I don't know. It's a little dark for me. It's understandable. I mean, it, those albums are also strange because, like, they're half sort of actual songs and half sort of more atmospheric sort of Brian Eno experiments. <laughs> like, it, yeah, I mean. I, I certainly like the the first half of Low and Heroes more than the second half, but like those first halves, pretty good, pretty awesome. I mean, no one was really doing like weird, spacey synth rock like that at that point, and 
I mean, yeah, I, I understand if, if you're not in love with it. I, I, I think I, too, have never really loved those albums quite as much as maybe some David Bowie's other stuff, but they're they're definitely interesting. Also, we, we didn't even talk about disco, too. It was pretty big in 77. Oh, yeah. Disco is one of those things that, like, back then, you know, you either loved it or you fucking hated it. But I feel like now, like, history has been a little more kind to it. Yeah, definitely. Which I'm okay with. Like, it's just, it's not like it was trying to, like, it's just dance music, you know? I guess it could have been annoying back then, like, all this, all this dumb disco pop bullshit all over the radio. Probably pretty overplayed, but. I mean, you look back at some of those bands, like, I don't know, the Bee Gees are chic, and you're like, oh, there's actually some some good songwriting musicianship going on in those groups. Yeah. I think. Really well produced, too. (laughs) Uh, I mean, would we have that last Daft Punk album if it weren't for someone like Nile Rodgers, you know, and his his great, like, work in disco? Yeah. Probably not. Did, uh, gosh, did Saturday Night Fever, is that 77, too? Yep. That's like the biggest album of that was, year. We haven't even touched on it. I was just listening it. to it the other night. I got that on vinyl. It's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, it is a compilation, but yeah, it's got like all the best BG songs, basically. It's got that sweet yeah, disco. Yeah, it's pretty much the best BG's album. Yeah. <laughs> it's got that sweet disco version of Beethoven's Fifth. <laughs> fucking awesome. Another fun fact slash loose connection is... This was when the Bee Gees really exploded, and their their first big like pop album in the '60s came out in '67. So come, this it really came full, full circle from here. This is like because they had they made kind of like I, I don't know if I'd say a roar, but like you know people were aware of them in '67. But then '77, it's like they're, they're like the biggest band there was. Mm-hmm. God, you know that's a weird movie though. I watched it for the first time a couple of years ago. Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, that's a fucking sad movie for <laughs> no, how fun that soundtrack I, is. I kind of love it. I really like that movie because it is like, you'd think from this upbeat soundtrack it's going to be a good times movie. But no, it's like a gritty New York in the 70s movie. Like, it's, yeah, it is. Might as well have starred Robert De Niro. No, it is like not that far <laughs> removed from Taxi Driver. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, can you just imagine if he got out onto the floor and he's got a gun raised up with a disco ball? <laughs> he shoots the disco ball. I'm gonna Photoshop that uh that that poster and but you know how he's pointing up at the ceiling, but instead he's got a gun in his hand. You're really into photoshopping guns into things. Though. Just so like there's so thing. many great opportunities. Everyone looks like they're pointing a gun. Yep. It's like where's your gun, bro? Where's your gun, bro? But yeah, dis- disco. I'm okay with it. I don't. Yeah. I think it helps that I didn't grow up in the '70s, so I, I didn't really have any reason to hate it, mm-hmm. unless I really hated like going to sock hops in elementary school or like Skate King and hearing all those disco songs. Yeah. All right, we got we throw in any others. Could go all day. Yeah, we could just go down the line of big albums, but I. 
<laughs> Bob Marley, Steely Dan, Wire. I mean, it's just uh, yeah. it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Those are three very different acts that I just named. Yep. All good. Okay, so yeah, I don't know. Do we do we do some kind of list for each year, like or just? I mean, I've, I already talked about most of mine, I think. Yeah, I think. We, well, you know, I have a list. Do you have a list for each year? I made I made some. Granted, I made these lists a while up. ago. Because <laughs> define a while ago. I don't know. Probably maybe a few years ago. I, I have no idea. But not like ten years. I ago. like I have lists for every year, <laughs> which you know. I used to have more time on my hands <laughs> to obsess about music. I have that for uh, for films, yeah. but I have to. I was like, it got too overwhelming because I had to update it constantly because it's just, you know, a film is a lot longer. It's, mm-hmm. it's tough. It's tough. Okay, well, let's do it. That'll, that'll be fun. I I, I just um, I'm sure you have top tens, but I just made top fives. Is that cool? Yeah, I could just are give you, you my you... top five. We, except we talked about all of these albums, so I don't think we need to go in depth. <laughs> okay, okay. My number five is the Who Sell Out by the Who, which we talked about and is awesome. It's got little uh, little radio jingles in it. Come on, who doesn't love that? Okay. So then my number five will be Mr. Fantasy because got to give a shout out to my, my old clerk friend. Mm-hmm. And Dave Matthews. And Dave Matthews. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He doesn't, he doesn't need the, the publicity. At least I know if I ever met Dave Matthews, we'd have something to talk about Yeah. for a few minutes. See, I don't have that. <laughs> I'd just be like, hey, your band sucks. You'd be like, hey, <laughs> so I'm just gonna stop. I'm just gonna stop that. And let's hear your. Uh, he talks. What's your number four called? I sort of talked about the Moby Grape. Uh, released one really awesome debut. That's just sort of this melting pot of like blues and folk and uh, rock, and it's just an awesome sort of uh, encapsulation of the San Francisco scene and. They were a band that kind of weren't, I don't know, they kind of peaked on their first album. I feel like one of their members, Skip Spence, I want to say, was like crazy. <laughs> that kind of... What do you mean he was crazy? I don't know. I just know he had some very erratic behavior. <laughs> I haven't read about him too much, but I know that was one of the reasons Like they had a lot of inner turmoil after that first album. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my next one is my number three. Big shout out to Past John, mm-hmm. which so it's appropriate that it's Days of Future Past, which I didn't talk about. It's Moody Blues, um, not their first album, but their first album with their like famous lineup. They because they used to be a more traditional kind of British invasion band. It's weird. Their lead singer used to be Denny Lane from Wings. Isn't that weird? Do you, remember, do you remember Denny Lane? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's like, how do you go from being the, the front man of a band to just being like Paul McCartney's friend mm-hmm. that some people know about? I don't know. I guess it's pretty good to be I mean, hanging out with Paul it's McCartney. It's like, how did Billy Preston just end up playing with the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's one of those, it's one of those weird things. Yep. 
but Days of Future Past, um, John Lodge and Justin Hayward, uh, they joined in on bass and guitar, and they wrote songs and sang songs, and I feel like the kind of the band really found themselves as this weird kind of psychedelic uh, folk poet music. And what's cool about that album is it has like I don't know if it's the London Symphony Orchestra. It has some huge orchestra on it, and that's pretty cool because it's like, you know, you'll have Knights in White Satin and then like this huge orchestra. And not a lot of albums that have that, especially back then. I don't know how they afforded it because no way they were that big back then. I don't think they got big until the 70s, which was weird because then their music started to be really bad. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of just weird that it exists. Like this really extravagant album, uh, from a band that at the time no one really knew anything about. So I was remembering now we were going to disqualify the Beatles from this, but my number three is Sgt. Pepper. You may have heard of it. It's okay. Yeah. It's not number one. I may have heard of it. I think I read about it on BuzzFeed. They got some good stuff on that BuzzFeed. Albums like your grandpa lolled at. <laughs> That'll make you raffle mouth. What did he think was so funny about Sergeant Pepper? <laughs> it's like there's He's trying to use a lot of buzz phrases. Too many people buzzfeed. on the album cover. That's funny. Hashtag what? <laughs> okay. What's, what's your number three? Uh, my number two, right? Did I do my number three? Yeah, I did. Wasn't it Days of Future Past? Wasn't that my? No, no, I messed it up. Oh, I got my order wrong. Here, I'll, my num- my new number three is Disraeli Gears. All right. Already talked about. Yeah, it. let's just burn Scott, through this. I feel like this is really unnecessary. <laughs> uh, my number two is Velvet Underground and Nico. What about your number two? My number two is The Doors. Love that album. I know you're not a big fan of The Doors, nope. Colin, and it pisses me <laughs> off. So that's a great album, okay? I, that is a fucking great I, album. You know, I am up for debating The Doors uh, at some point. I'm sure you have some valid points about why All The right. Doors are good. All right? We'll Let's save that for maybe, our podcast. Maybe a future Love podcast. Love that album. Love that album. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then my number one, Forever Changes by Love. Uh, it's just uh, awesome and weird and uh, love it. What's your number okay. one? My number one is Velvet Underground. All right. <laughs> Had to be. Cool, cool. So good. Uh, 77 might be a little more eclectic. Um, for my 1977 number five, I'm going with uh, Pink Flag by Wire, which you mentioned, but is a really cool album. And also weird that it's, I feel like it's kind of considered the first post-punk album, even though it came out. I know, it's like, like they hadn't even like, finished like, punk yet. Yeah, it hadn't even <laughs> finished its run yet, but already this other band was kind of tearing up and starting all over again. And I, I guess this album's notable and that is it, like every song is like a minute long if that like one of my favorite songs on the album is that field day for a sunday song it's like 20 seconds long but it's, it's <laughs> awesome and uh yeah it's 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 a really cool album weirdly i haven't been able to get into the like the two wire albums that they did after that which are sort of like more post-punk and sort of 
weird and experimental, but like the first one, I, I, I love it. Yeah, I haven't heard any others either, but I love that album as well. Uh, my number five uh, is just okay, because I didn't really put much thought into this because I really rushed it. I just put In Color by Cheap Trick. It's it's not even their best album, but it's a fun one. It's got I Want You to Want Me. I know that the studio version is you know isn't as popular. It has like some piano and it's not as fast, but it's still fun. They're like they're a fun band. I really liked um, their take on like I guess power pop. It was very kind of Beatlesy, but some pretty sweet riffs rick nielsen's a fantastic guitar player fantastic showman um he should have been at the front of every album cover (laughs) especially with those ridiculous guitars you ever seen that guitar he has it's just a guitar of himself (laughs) i've seen that one huge yeah it's not it's not quite life-size it's it actually looks terrible but like it's it's hilarious (laughs) it's fun that it exists it's fun that it exists uh, my number four is Rumors by Fleetwood Mac Cause yeah It's got lots of hits But they're hits Cause they're good songs yeah. My number four is also Rumors Copy paste what you said Cool I didn't say that much <laughs> But okay <laughs> Well I feel the exact same way I guess Alright uh, My number three My Aim is True by Elvis Costello Cause I like that guy and it's got some of his best songs like Allison everybody likes that song my number three is damn damn damned mm-hmm. already talked about them mm-hmm. punk band check them out <laughs> check them out uh, my number two also punk band the clash by the clash uh, my number two is rocket Russia because good noise this is getting more and more simplified <laughs> as it goes we're realizing we probably didn't need to do this countdown <laughs> but we we're doing it we're doing it uh i think i might have said this was my number one album 1977 already but marquee moon by television love it love it love it love it my number one i don't th- i don't even know if you've actually heard it maybe not um Pacific Ocean Blue. Mm. I don't know if I've listened. Do you know what that is? It's in my iTunes. It's a Carl Wilson album. Dennis Dennis Wilson. (laughs) Yeah, clearly I haven't spent much time with it. (laughs) This was during, I don't know if you remember, Colin, but like three years ago, I went on a series of like Beach Boys, like Odyssey of like listening to almost all of their albums. Mm -hmm. And I got so deep into it. And then I discovered Dennis Wilson, who slowly kind of became like my favorite member of the band. Yeah. Had this was like just as good. I mean, not just as good, but like the next best songwriter in the group. Like his stuff doesn't really sound like the Beach Boys. It's a lot like rougher. Um, I mean, you just look at him on the album cover. He looks like one of those Geico cavemen. He's just this scraggly dude. <laughs> and these are just he's got this harsh voice. But these, this album is really well produced. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, like, how what the, what the deal with the release of this was. I feel like it kind of came out, but like, not really anyone heard it. Or, like, listened about, I listened to it. It wasn't really like, oh, here I'm, I'm reading it now. Um, left unfinished at the time of his death. So, I don't know how that makes. No, that's the second one. Sorry, that's the second one. So it did come out, but just no one gave a shit about it for some reason. <laughs> and then he died just a few years later. But uh, yeah, it's great, great, great summer album. 
It's kind of like if Bob Seger was in the Beach Boys. <laughs> which I'm not sure is something that anyone wants, but <laughs> I think I, I kind of want that. I feel like Bob Seger's kind of underrated. He's got a few good songs. Yeah. And you, your good buddy Carl Wilson shows up. Good, good. <laughs> I like Carl. He's a great guy. <laughs> So, so next is I sh- guess we're just going into our or should we decide segment. which year is better? Oh, which year won? I feel like we might split on this. I'm like we're we're, de- we're absolutely gonna split. I'm on definitely a '77 guy. Like yeah, as you I'm, said, I'm your your favorite decade is the '60s. Mine is the '70s. I think just because it it just feels like such an eclectic decade for music, and it's. I guess more of a album based decade. Like I feel like that's the best decade for the album as an art form, which I'm kind of, I don't know, pre <laughs> predisposed to being like my main way of experiencing music. I mean, the sixties like had a lot of great singles and stuff in the first half, but I don't know, just like that whole stretch of the seventies. Like I can find so much good stuff in there. Yeah, and I don't know, 67, just it's all about melody, man, and like all that. I think I just, it, I love the extravagance of the 60s, the, yeah. the the orchestras and the experimenting with guitars. People were, I feel like people were still kind of understanding what like rock music was, you yeah. know, because it just, it just taken the next step from being a very simple thing, taking the next step to be something so much bigger and grander. Totally. And they really, they really stepped up their game, so... <laughs> pretty into that <laughs> alright I'm satisfied me too so. and yeah this is where we do our segment yesterday and today where we recommend an album mm-hmm. uh, an older album and a newer album I'm kind of regretting that I picked <laughs> one that has to do with this list because I've talked about it like, like so many fucking times already <laughs> I don't want to talk about it again it's Mr. Fantasy oh, okay. go listen to it Colin <laughs> Five. I'm gonna, you gotta, I gotta force you to listen to it again. It's worth revisiting. It was just like I, I kicked it on like recently, and it just brought back memories. It, it's almost more like it's it gives me nostalgia for like two thousand six seven, like when I first got it. Like it just takes me back to high school and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's probably not like it's probably not like a must hear, but I just you know I finally remember putting it in in videos with like GI Joes and stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found it recently in my basement, and like the book, it was so fucked up. It looks like it went through the wash like twenty times. And if you look at that album cover, it already looks fucked up. So it's like so <laughs> fucked up. 
Why did it go through the wash? Did you? Ha- I don't you know. Had just, it like in your it jacket. Le- you were carrying it around at all times. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just saying it looked like it went through the wash. I don't know oh, what okay. happened to it. So it might have just like got. I don't know. Thrown in a bucket of water. The album just got like became sentient and then just got high and just did so many drugs. Mm-hmm. It has to be near drugs at all times or it dies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a nice break from all this, and let's hear your yesterday, Colin. Okay, so um, I don't know if you saw recently Pitchfork did their list of, like, the 50 greatest Britpop albums. I did not. You did not? Yeah, I looked at that, and I, I've kind of been listening to a lot of that stuff lately, sort of discovering bands I never really listened to that are on that list, like you know, this band Elastica that's really good, and, like, Supergrass, I know you're a big fan of. I love that that '95 Supergrass. Yeah, album. rocks really hard. But, I want a cocoa. I think. Yeah. Um, love it. I should have recommended that. But like a lot, <laughs> a lot of it is just kind of giving me a reason to get back into Pulp, which their album Different Class was number one on the list, which was not too surprising like i would have been okay with what's the story morning glory being number one but i feel like oasis aren't that much of a pitchfork band but uh pulp i really love and i but mostly i've usually just listened to like their two big albums from 94 95 his and hers and different class and i kind of like i've had it in my itunes forever but their 1998 album, This Is Hardcore, is really cool. Because it's like, it's not as fun as those first, those two ones I just mentioned. It's kind of like the hangover after those sort of non-stop party albums and but like the songs are still really catchy and pulper like interesting because they were just like unlike a lot of those bands like they were literally just trying to be a pop band <laughs> like they're not as much about guitars even though it's there are a lot of guitars on those albums but it's also a lot of keyboards and just jarvis cocker trying to write sort of anthemic songs i mean common people's obviously like a huge Britpop anthem and then that album it's a little little more introspective and stuff but it's uh it's good they had a good run it's it's a, another sort of weird career trajectory they had where they were around for like a decade and then they got big and then they released four really awesome albums and then broke up but uh yeah i like that band inspired some of William Shatner's best work. <laughs> sure. Also, I, th- I don't know. Maybe we should do like a Britpop episode. I, I was, love Britpop. I was Brit thinking, because I was like, we should do a uh, episode that's centered around music that's like within the last 20 or 30 years. Because <laughs> here we are doing another episode centered around fucking 50-year-old music. But like, I, I know you're, yeah, you're a big Britpop fan, which makes sense because yes. you were talking about how much you love British pop music of the 60s which Britpop is obviously indebted to but uh oh yes it's an idea let me regale you with the tale of blur vs oasis it's hilarious (laughs) and and, uh yeah that's a conversation i'd like to hear 
I don't even know who holds up better. <laughs> That'd be a fun conversation to have. Uh oh yeah, so my today album. I've been listening to a lot of stuff lately, but the one that I've really been into the past couple of days is just uh damn period. Remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances Vanessa nigga with some counterfeits But now I'm counting this Parmesan with my accountant lives In fact I'm down in this say with my boobay Tastes like Kool-Aid for the analyst Girl I can buy your wet I don't know that I have that much to say about this album I don't like it as much as Tip of a Butterfly I think that one was a little more extravagant And a little more I just liked how it used a bunch of like jazz instruments and stuff. And this one feels more like a traditional rap album, but except it's like super pissed off. And but it's like still funny and stuff when it needs to be. Um, I just listened to this song like just you know the other day. Like I don't know if you've heard that album yet. Yeah, I have. I I yeah, that song tri- Triple X with U two. That's such a <laughs> bizarre like song. It's like about like America, but. Like, then the U2's there and it's like jazzy but it's like where's the edge he's playing piano and it has like this sweet beat that sounds like a, like a I don't know like a police siren but they like synced it up to a beat it's just like so cool yeah and and then I was listening to that song uh, Fear and it's like so scary it's just that one part where he's just talking about all the ways as be, like as, a, as being a black man in America all the ways he could die it's holy shit and of course, "Humble" has like, been like this super catchy song that is like exploded over like YouTube. I'm not sure how much any of this stuff gets played on the radio because it's all pretty explicit. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, like, and I, you know, I went out and bought this, and I don't bought like I don't buy many rap albums. So something mm-hmm. about Kendrick Lamar, he's really grabbed the pulse of something. Um, I don't even feel like prepared to talk about him. I feel like you have to write an essay before you talk about Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> Yep. Just because this stuff is so political and just, I don't know. There's so much to draw from there thematically. Mm-hmm. It's not like Kanye West where most, I can usually, it's like a little easier for me to talk about because it's a little, it's a little poppier for the most part, except for maybe that last album. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, damn. Damn. I like it. Um... Damn, more like damn exclamation point. No, per- period's better. Period. Yeah. It's more serious. <laughs> it is Exclamation point makes it sound like you're saying, damn. Damn. Yeah, that's that's bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I should recommend. It's like, I, there are a lot of albums I've reviewed on our blog, Mildly Pleased. I guess one I kind of been listening to, and it's one I first heard and I wasn't sure if I liked it because it's like so 90s sounding it's like that thing where you're just like I can't tell if this is just like pummeling me with nostalgia or if it's actually like good it's this band called Charlie Bliss never heard of them before but like the singer's got this super bubblegummy voice it's like i don't know like the cardigans or something it's like very poppy but set against like like heavy like almost grungy indie rock it's just yeah 
very 90s, but at, at a certain point I was just like, this is super irresistible and catchy and it's just awesome. So, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I have not heard of that, so... I am intrigued. I guess that's it. I mean, yeah, it's hard to be... to be thorough. <laughs> I'm sure we missed something, and then somebody's be like, what the fuck? You totally didn't even fucking talk about, you piece of shit, that okay. thing. Uh, you spent the whole time talking about putting guns on album covers. <laughs> I feel I like we it. pretty well. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I talked about every album I wanted to talk to. Is there one we didn't We didn't mention Bat Out of Hell by Meatloaf. <laughs> uh, like B- Billy Joel's The Stranger. These are all albums that are dumb but like what, what do we miss <laughs> love gun by kiss oh we didn't talk about Kraftwerk's uh trans europe express it's not my favorite craft work album, well, but we, we, we sure would, are german we would have gotten on that cover got would have gotten hate <laughs> mail from who knows who <laughs> just just all of our german fans that hate us yeah all right. Well, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we covered all everyone our bases. else liked what they heard. Yeah. Uh, you can check out this podcast on iTunes by searching mildly pleased. And you can also find these episodes by going to our website, mildly pleased, just search mildly pleased.com. And you should be able to find all our past episodes and check out our other great podcasts. They've been a little infrequent lately, but we're trying to get back in the groove of things. Got lots of great pop culture content, but you know, this is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend.